Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today's guest, Laura Stack, is going to talk to us about the dangerous truth about today's marijuana and the life and death story of her son, Johnny Stack, whose young and vibrant life ended by suicide. Can we break dangerous addictions? Today, we find out. Laura, welcome. So I started today looking at some of your videos from like four years ago when you were keynote speaking on such a different... Yeah. Subject matter. Oh my gosh. Vastly and- different. My whole world. I'm still doing some productivity work because I have eight books. So it's kind of hard to, uh, it's kind of hard to get away from it. So I still get calls to do that. In fact, I'm doing one in a few weeks, but I just, I'm not looking for it, not going after it, you know, mostly doing prevention work now, uh, specifically around youth marijuana use and abuse. And it was pretty easy to just flip my whole platform. First of all, you're an incredible speaker. So I I think you could speak on anything. (laughs) This is not something I ever wanted to speak on, believe me. But uh, here we are. It's very healing and honoring my son. And he issued a warning that marijuana ruined his mind and his life and just trying to keep others from following his path. So I heard you say in one of your business speeches that change should be a business's middle name. Yeah. And now I feel uh, like that applies to your life. Yeah, that is my life. I mean, I, I believe everything I did in the past ultimately prepared me for this. You know, I had all the tools that I needed. I knew events and conferences and branding and platform and social, you know, I, I knew how to do everything. So it was just a matter of making the decision that I needed to make this change and literally doing a 180. And that was a year and a half ago, I started our nonprofit and uh, we already have 5,000 ambassadors and 41 trainers as of now, just growing like gangbusters. So it's definitely my mission field. How did you do it? I didn't plan it. It's just, you know, I understand how to do certifications from being a trainer before I knew how to write curriculum. I'm a prolific writer. I wrote Johnny's story, 300 pages about his life while I could remember everything that happened and COVID had hit. And I'd sat down and started writing and came up six months later with a new book and got that out there and then wrote the PowerPoint, the instructor guide, the handouts, you know, it's just, it's everything I already knew how to do, but just applied it toward the drug prevention space for youth and very quickly learned what my market was, mostly parents whose children were using. And then how do we get the word out to parents? Well, there are coalitions in every state in many cities, especially major cities, but often small rural communities who form coalitions with the sole purpose of fighting youth substance abuse. And so this was an easy way to get our materials into the hands of those coalition leaders who could then go out into their communities with our content and spread the word. So it's kind of like what 
you know, mothers of drunk drivers did many, many years ago, started a small grassroots army of moms at the time. Now it's, of course, parents, drug prevention specialists, teachers, anybody who works with youth to do the same thing. You know, we're kind of doing the mad for marijuana. There really wasn't anything out there to counter all of the pro marijuana messaging out in the community. Everybody just thinks it's so harmless and safe and natural. And so we are determined to go out and talk about the dangers. So we're small, but mighty, and we're growing. I, I hope to have thousands of ambassadors in the next couple of years out there teaching our material. I mean, I am a mom of four, so your story, to be honest, terrifies me and saddens me. And when I watched that tribute, I was practically in tears. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my God. You know, Johnny was a wonderful young man with a very bright future ahead of him, you know, a 4.0 GPA, a perfect SAT in math, a, a scholarship. We're a Christian family. He loved Jesus. We went to church. He volunteered. You know, we taught Sunday school for many years as a family, four-year-olds. He played musical instruments. He was in sports. He had wonderful friends. I mean, everything going for him until he discovered marijuana and it took him down. Did he ever talk to you about it in the beginning? Oh yeah. I mean, I was his person. He told me he used marijuana. But, you know, the context is I live in Colorado, so it's legal here, you know, and we were the first state to legalize. And as a parent, I used marijuana when I was a teen. It was harder to get than it is now. And it was, you know, kind of ditch weed, had a lot of seeds and stems in it. But, you know, we used to roll it in papers and and smoke a joint and pass it around. And you, you just kind of have that programming like, well, it's just weed. I used it. It's no big deal. You know, thank God it's just weed. But that's where, I mean, I was so wrong. I had no idea about today's designer marijuana products. I had no idea that chemists are extracting the THC from the plant, the psychoactive chemical, and making it into all these new, incredibly potent products. I didn't know what dab was from wax, from shatter, from live resin. I didn't know anything about marijuana when Johnny told me that he went to a party and one of his friends has a brother who lived up the street and he was 18 and had a medical marijuana card and was not using it for medical purposes. The kids here are just using it to get high. There are 4,000 18 year olds in Colorado with medical marijuana cards. It's much easier to get marijuana here at 18 than it is to get alcohol at 21. It's hard to get alcohol here, but it's really easy to get marijuana. That's just kind of the context of where we live. And so it's become commercialized, normalized, you know, people just think it's so wonderful and safe. And that's the messaging that our kids are hearing and the parents not knowing any better sometimes are hearing, oh, well, it'll help their stress or, oh, it'll help their anxiety. And it actually makes anxiety worse, causes depression. There are no proven psychological benefits of marijuana. There are some medical uses of FDA approved versions of marijuana for things like rare seizure disorders, but psychologically it's harming our children. And Johnny, unfortunately, became addicted to it. In five years, he was dead. He became psychotic after about four years of use. 
and thought the mob was after him and thought the FBI knew who he was. And he said everybody knew everything about him. And he developed just a very paranoid kind of delusional thinking that is really a hallmark of cannabis use, what's called cannabis-induced psychosis. It's not a true schizophrenia in the sense that when the cannabis is withdrawn, they improve. And he did, and he did get better twice, but he kept going back to the marijuana and he would become paranoid again and very delusional in his thinking. We found a journal after he died and he wrote just days before he killed himself that the mob was after him and that the university was an FBI base and... It's all preventable. All of that was a result of marijuana. He had no medical conditions. He had no mental health problems. As I said, this was a very healthy, wonderful young man. We have a home-based business for 30 years. We were always home. We were very close as a family. I mean, vacations, all the normal stuff, you know, that anybody talks about, all the protective factors, you know, they were all in place. You just can't chain yourself to your child 24 hours a day. You know, we had to go to school and I didn't know anything about these products. I just, I didn't know anything. You can't smell them. They're, they're very easy to hide. You know, they have carts now in these vape pens and the kids will say, oh, mom, I'm just vaping. And, and the parents think they're talking about nicotine, right? And they're talking about THC, very high potency. We're talking 80, 90% THC oil in a vape. There are crystals that are nearly pure THC that are just like crack. Like, like the difference between cocaine and crack is the, the TH, the marijuana and these THCA crystals, which are 99.9% .9 pure THC. So we're talking one little tiny dab of this concentrated marijuana chemical can be the equivalent of smoking like five or six bowls, whole bowls of marijuana flour, just hugely, just really high, really fast off the charts. And the danger with kids is they don't know about the brain impacts. You don't raise your kids talking about there's cannabinoid receptors in your brain and your prefrontal cortex. And when you use marijuana, it binds to the receptor. And we don't, as parents, we don't know all that science. And it actually shows that it thins the prefrontal cortex of children who use it. It changes their brain structure and function and behavior and outcomes. And so that's what we're trying to do, Rena. We're trying to educate parents and teens through them and, and also teens. I also speak directly to teens at schools. I love doing that work about the dangers and the, the difference and why this is not the same marijuana from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. In, these products weren't even out until 2015. It was first reported in the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. So it's all the old people like me, if you're over 25 years old, you've never even heard of dabbing. People are like, what is that? Yeah, so, I've never heard of it until I started watching your videos using that terminology even. Yeah. So dabbing is not that dance move, right? It's a verb. You only need a dab of a concentrate. The serving size is like a pinhead. It's like so small because it's so potent. And so they, they take the plant and then they run a solvent through it like butane or propane. And they break off the trichomes, which are the little pieces of parts on the bud that contain the THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the psychoactive part of, of weed. 
and they take the THC and the solvent and they throw the plant away. So the first thing people have to understand is there's no natural part anymore of these chemicals that people are using when they say they're using marijuana. And they try to get most of the solvent out of the concentrated liquid. They can't get it all out, but then they further process it into these different products and they can distill it like they do with vodka. But, you know, alcohol is created. You have to make alcohol, but THC is extracted. So it's different. And they only want the part that makes you high. You can also get out CBD, but that's also non-psychoactive. And that's in hemp and other parts of the uh, other species of cannabis also. But then they take these, this extract of THC and they, they name it after kind of the consistency of the product that they're making. So there's crumble that looks like a cookie. There's live sugar that looks like sugar. There's shatter that looks like if you drop it, it would break, right? So these aren't plants. These are chemicals and even the flower. And this is what a lot of people don't know because the kids go, oh, well, I'm not dabbing. You know, I'm not using that stuff. Even the flower is potent. It is impossible to purchase low potency marijuana that existed when we were kids, right? It used to be like 2%, 4%, 5% if you could get the really good stuff. THC. Now it is not uncommon for a plant to have 28, 30% THC or higher. So even the flower is considered high potency. In the Netherlands, anything over 10% is illegal. It's considered a narcotic in the same category as like cocaine or heroin. But here, unregulated, unlimited, no caps on potency, our legislators have just allowed these cannabis manufacturers to just run amok. So smoking's going way down like flour, but dabbing, vaping, edibles, all these really high, high potency things are going way up in terms of youth use as seen in Colorado by our Healthy Kid Colorado survey that kids admit. And one in 10 of our middle schoolers is using now. We're talking like 12 years old. They're using marijuana and it's permanently changing the structure of our minds because THC molecule resembles a molecule we have naturally called an andamide, which is part of our endocannabinoid system. And it tricks the brain when you use it and blocks the natural chemical from being able to get in there. And it binds to that receptor. So we make less and less and less of it naturally, which means we need more and more and more of it artificially just to feel normal. And then you have to use more just not to feel bad. So very addictive. It's estimated that one in three youth up to 50% are going to get addicted to it who use it, have a cannabis use disorder and five-fold increase in psychosis and a seven-fold increase in suicidality. And that is, these are scientific studies. This is not just me spewing data. But there are no studies, zero, none, that show any benefit of these high potency marijuana products for youth. Zero, because they don't exist. So that's our message. We don't really get involved in legalization. Look, that horse has left the barn. It's not like they're going to repeal marijuana here in Colorado, right? So we are left with trying to educate and prevent and raise awareness that, hey, the brain does not stop forming in humans until... Men, 25, 
28 women or 25. Some, some are saying men up, up to 30 years old, the human brain is still forming. And we know from MRIs that it changes the structure and causes a lot of negative outcomes, lowers IQ, memory problems, school dropouts, loss of motivation, makes you a terrible driver, lower outcomes in life. It's, it's really harmful to the mind. And we must keep our children from using this product and just need to get as educated as we can as parents about what it is that's so different. And it's not the same drug that it's so, so potent and understand what it does to the brains of our children and be able to explain it to them scientifically, right? The neuroscience, not just don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. You know, this is your brain on drugs, but really being able to help them understand why marijuana is so bad and why it's so different. When your son was going through this, did your research begin then? I didn't even know until four years after he had started using what dabs were. And I live here like I, I am an educated person. I've written eight books. I'm a world traveler. I'm very worldly. And in my mind, I'm kind of thinking, oh, you know, it's just pot. I used it. I was uneducated, very ignorant. I just, I just didn't know. And I knew he was using marijuana and we did everything every parent would do. I mean, he's been in three mental hospitals, you know, countless treatments, doctors, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, medications, you know, years later after he became, you know, really addicted and his personality started to change and he became isolated himself and became anxious. This was years later after he had started using and he became verbally abusive, which he was the sweetest, happiest young man you would ever meet. Very respectful. It was just so shocking to hear this out of your child's mouth. I mean, ugh, yeah, you know, F U U B, you know, this to me, like I'm, he, he loved me more than anybody in the world. And he went to college, he had a scholarship and he was there just for two weeks. He texted me because I was still, you know, really trying to keep a good relationship with him, even though it had been damaged by all his marijuana use. And he said he'd been dabbing nonstop for two weeks. And I'm, I'm on the text going, what are you talking about? And I did, I still didn't know. Right. And he had a roommate who moved there from Michigan just to use marijuana. Cause it's legal here. It was like, great. He got a great roommate. And he said, you know, I'm just not making any friends. And I said, that's normal, sweetie. You know, it takes a while to make friends and adjust to college life. You'll make friends. And he said, is it normal to feel like killing myself every day? And that was our first sign that something was going horribly wrong. And so of course we went and got him and he lost his scholarship and he was in the mental hospital and they diagnosed him with THC abuse severe. Wait, hold on. I want to talk about the mental hospital. Like, like that was it. That was what his diagnosis was. THC. How, how did you decide though, to send him there? He, well, he was suicidal. He had well, to go. Some, some wouldn't do it. When your child says, I feel like killing myself, you go right to the emergency room. You go right to a mental hospital. You don't ever take a chance with that. He would have died much sooner than he did. That was his first, first time he was suicidal. And we went back to the CSU, Colorado State University, to get his things out of his dorm room because he lost his scholarship. We had to disenroll him. And there was this like box in his drawer and it said nectar kit. 
And John and I are like, what is this? There was this like brown waxy looking stuff that looked like earwax. And we said to his roommate, who was just standing there watching us, what's this? And he shrugged and he goes, dabs. And that was the first time. And Johnny was 18 by now. So he'd been using for four years. That was the first time we'd ever learned about it. So believe me, your kids know. Ask any high school. I have a kid getting ready to enter high school. I mean, uh, he already he, knows somebody who oh, yeah. is vaping. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? How? Vaping THC or nicotine? See, this is where a lot of you yeah, know this thing. Tell me the difference, please. Well, vaping jewels and stuff, that's just nicotine. It's just like smoking. But the device looks very similar. You can be vaping THC 80% distillate. Very, very potent, pure, almost just THC. You can buy a gram, what they call a cart of vape. And let's say it's an 80% vape potency. So you buy a gram. So now you have 800 milligrams of THC. And let's say there's 200 servings in the cart. So every time they puff on the vape, it's four milligrams, but they don't just go, they go, right? That's 10 milligrams right there. That's like a serving of a marijuana edible. And they do that when they wake up and they do that on the way to school. They do it in class. They do it after class. They do it at lunch. They are high all day long and they're ingesting extremely high potent amounts of THC frequently at a very early age of onset, that is a trifecta for disaster. Those are the kids you're going to see psychosis with acute intoxication, with vomiting that they can't control called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, with acute psychotic episodes. One of the doctors on our scientific advisory board here at Johnny's Ambassadors, Dr. Karen Randall, is an emergency room physician in Pueblo, Colorado. And she's always trying to get legislators to come to her hospital and spend a day with her and see what she sees teens every day in the emergency room, in acute psychosis, in violence, in, in paranoia, in thinking people are after them and their room is bugged and their phone is listening to them. It's a very specific set of symptoms that you can see in cannabis induced psychosis. And you talk to other parents about oh, yeah. their kids that have gone through this. I mean, what right that now, like? right now we have 176 parents who are in our parents of children of cannabis induced psychosis group right now, 176 across the U S yeah, oh there are 5,000 now ambassadors. We have 41 certified trainers out there teaching our curriculum in their communities. We have a hope and healing group for parents who have lost children, so many by suicide, like my son, and then really just trying to help the best we can. Parents come to us desperate. You know, my child is in psychosis. He's using marijuana. It's usually boys. Not that girls don't use marijuana. It's just there's, there's a, um, a higher incidence of psychosis in the boys. We're not quite sure what the difference in the brains are, but they, the boys' brains take longer to form. So there's something around the physiology. All of the children on our memorial wall who have died, either from using marijuana and killing themselves or starting with marijuana and then going on to other drugs, because pretty soon the marijuana stops working and they can't get that same high, right? They're always chasing like that same high. So they do something else and like they'll die by a fentanyl overdose or something, but there's always THC involved. Um, there's 
27 so far. And we just started. I mean, it's just people coming out of the woodwork as more and more and more states are legalizing. You know, if this is going to be like big tobacco and it's going to take what? 60 years before they said, oh yeah, tobacco is addicting. We are going to lose generations of children to psychosis. Cigarettes are not good for you. I'm not saying that. Neither is alcohol, right? All those things are bad, but there are so many mental harms of the marijuana because we have cannabis receptors, CB1, cannabinoid 1 receptors in the nervous system in our brains. And they are rich in cannabinoid receptors in all areas. And when you get THC in them, they do things they're not supposed to do. Like the amygdala normally regulates emotion. So when we're afraid, the anandamide goes in there and regulates our heart rate and our processes and all the things it's supposed to do. But when THC gets in there, it over-regulates, it's hyper-stimulating and it causes panic, anxiety, fear, paranoia. And so all of the CB1 receptors in the brain are so different than the effects of alcohol and smoking and all those. So it's not like, oh, this is worse. This is better. I'm not comparing. It's just, there are a lot of mental harms um, that we see in children who use marijuana. So we're really needing to sound the alarm. And I think Pandora's box has been opened. You know, we're welcome anyone who has children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, teachers, community members, law enforcement, anybody who works with youth who need to understand the kids so casually think, oh, it's marijuana. It's no big deal. So their perception of harm has gone way down because of adults, right? Because of the sense of it's legal, it's natural, it's safe. All the, you know, BS that they see celebrities with their hawking their lines of marijuana, you know, billboards, advertising, flyers that come to your house. It's just all starts to feel so normal to kids. And they don't understand the dangers of these very, very potent products. We've got to get the word out. What would you say is the biggest misunderstandings? Well, just that they think it's medical, that it's safe. You know, that's how we taught, that's how we got voters to vote it in. You know, oh, those poor people who have cancer, right? So there are FDA approved versions of marijuana products, right? For very rare seizure disorders, things like that, cancer pain, but it's never vaped. It's never dabbed. It's never, it's not edibles, right? Everything that's prescribed is FDA approved. Everything else right now, medical marijuana, that is off label. It has not been evaluated and approved by the FDA. There are no psychiatric benefits medically of marijuana. That just came out in a a journal study just a few weeks ago. And so that's really what the message is. And that's what the marijuana industry wants you to believe. They said so themselves. I have video of it from years ago, them saying, well, medical marijuana is just going to be a red herring to get everybody to just accept marijuana as, you know, compassion for all these sick people. There are, I think, 170 children in Colorado under the age of 17 who have like seizures or severe autism. Okay. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when they turn 17 years, 364 days. And all of a sudden there are 4,000 of them with a medical marijuana card. I'm sorry. You don't just develop a debilitating chronic condition overnight. They're using it to get high. And so that's really the farce. It's really just a, a sham is all it is. There's no difference 
between medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. You walk into the dispensary, here's the medical side, here's the recreational side, same marijuana. You go to a concert, here's a trailer, here's the medical marijuana doctor over here. You pay a few hundred dollars, you get your card, you make up some cockamamie, oh, I got a migraine. And then you go over and you buy your marijuana legally at 18. Yeah, that's not good. Not 21, 18. And the brain is forming. And sadly, these are the kids that are then going back to the high schools and middle schools and selling it. Everybody knows who the drug dealers are. This is not the dispensary giving it to kids. It's not beggars on the street that they're paying five bucks to go tell some homeless person to go buy them some marijuana. It's not the black market. They're not buying it in the alley. They're legally buying it at 18 in the dispensary and then selling it illegally. Did you ever think about leaving Colorado? Oh yeah. Yep. But it doesn't matter. It's everywhere. It's every, I mean, it's in every college. I mean, our other son, our surviving son is 16 months younger than Johnny. And he's up at Colorado State University. He's a junior. It's everywhere. Every party. And he's on our board of directors too. And he works in his own way to try to get his friends to stop. Cause you know, they'll come to him and be like, man, I'm sweating all the time. And man, I'm vomiting and I'm, I'm sick. And James is like, knock off the weed. And they're like, that's not it. And he's like, try it for three weeks. That's how long it takes to get out of your system. And sure enough, like a month later, they're like, I'm cured. Duh. I can't believe how close they are together. Oh my yeah. God. That must. Oh, been. that was, that was awful. James was the last person he Snapchatted just 15 minutes before he died. It's just you know, but it doesn't matter really about Colorado, because even if you're in a state where it's not legal, they're getting it illegally all over the place in neighboring states. And you can order it on the internet. Is there anything that would have scared him away from doing it? Or like, what do you think he could have done? Once he started having really irrational thinking, then he started like, okay, wow. That I am not because he would stop and then he would recover. You know, when he got out of the mental hospital the first time, I mean, it freaked him out, you know, because the thinking is, is really scary and he stopped using and he didn't use for about four months and he was fine. He recovered. Like he was my normal, sweet Johnny, you know, when he's not using his abusive mouth and his behavior, everything changed. And he was like, wow, I am not going to do that again. That was bad. But what is he going to do? Sit around in his bedroom all his life. Right. And so he's like, I'm going to try to go back to school. And we're like, I don't know if that's a really great idea, but he decided to go back to a different university, university of Northern Colorado. And he was fine at first and he was doing well. And then boom, he falls into the dabbing crowd and he picks it up again. And he had gotten clean and he was fine. And he had no signs of psychosis or suicidality. And boom, I get a call at three in the morning He's saying, you know, my phone is bugged and the mob is after me, just all this stuff again. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you using marijuana? And he was like, yeah, I've been dabbing and out of, had to disenroll him back in the mental hospital. This went on and he did, did that. Did he couple- go there willingly? Yeah. Well, not, I mean, later on, no, because then I thought that he would tell me because he always had, you know, that he was feeling suicidal. But the last time he did not tell me, he didn't tell me that he was feeling suicidal because I imagine he knew that he would have to go back to the mental hospital because they had to eventually give him an antipsychotic 
because he was so paranoid from dabbing that, you know, people were after him. We live in a suburb in like (laughs) South Denver. There's no like mob down here in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, but he just always, he would put tape over the back of his phone because he thought that it was watching him. Like really deluge, really crazy, crazy thoughts where you just go, this cannot be my child. But then when he would stop using, he would recover again. And he went to another university. I mean, we did this several times and he would go back to using. Eventually he didn't tell me. Did he talk to his siblings? I mean, they knew. Everybody knew he was a dealer. I found on his phone when he died, photos of him dealing on Snapchat. That's how they're doing it. I don't heard Snapchat. I've heard discord. Yeah. I mean, his brother and sister didn't really know the extent of how deep he was into the marijuana use, but three days before he died, he came here for dinner and he said, I just want you to know you were right. And I said, about what? And he said about the marijuana. He said, you told me long ago that it would hurt my brain and it has ruined my mind and my life. And I'm sorry. And I love you. And that I didn't see as a suicidal sign. I guess I should have. I thought, I thought that he was reconciling because our, you know, our relationship had been so strained. So I missed it. And he jumped off a building three days later. Oh my God, I have chills all over my body. Oh my God. And uh, he wrote in his journal that the mob was after him. Psychosis had come roaring back because he'd started using again. Yeah, he knew. He absolutely knew that it was harming his brain. And in the end, that was his warning. But it's so addictive. It's so compelling. Our, our kids just cannot stay away from it. He needed more help and it was too late to get it to him once he finally realized that. So, you know, we're trying to share Johnny's warning. We, we want to keep kids from following his path to have them really understand this is real. Don't think, oh, that'll never happen to me. You know, that's what he thought too. He was brilliant. You know, he was strong. He was popular. He was handsome. It can happen to anyone. It's just not worth the risk. Do you look back at the tribute video and at the pictures and? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I've changed my entire business of speaking. Now I'm the executive director, you know, founder and CEO of our nonprofit. And so that's what I'm out there doing. My whole world is presenting seminars and webinars at prevention conferences and at schools and just really trying to let people know what happened to Johnny and being as honest as I can and trying to warn others. Do you ever feel judged? Oh yeah. I get hate mail every day. That doesn't bother me. People say mean things all the time. You're a terrible parent, you know, your son's in hell and blood's on your hands. I mean, just, it's just not true. So I, it doesn't bother me. Oh yeah. Every day. Horrible, horrible hate mail from marijuana users who are mad that I dare to speak anything against their medicine, you know, and they, they say very mean, nasty. I've never met a more vulgar group of people than the ones who, who email me hate mail blogs, people send pizzas to my house. I get, I get harassed quite a bit. Laura, that is horrible. What made you want to tell his story? Because I didn't know. I didn't know if I don't know. And I consider myself, you know, fairly smart. I'm, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a perfect mother, but I was a damn good one. And I missed it. I just didn't know. And that I don't want that to be the reason anyone else loses their child. You know, 
they, they need to know, they need to get educated. They need to understand. They need to go to the local dispensary and take a field trip. If they have a, if you're over 25 years old, you don't even know what these products are and really get aware of what's happening and talk to your child and communicate to them and do not ever allow any use under any circumstances. And don't use yourself. We know that if a parent uses their child is 80% more likely to use up to 90% more likely. If it's a father using in front of a child, they're going to use, don't ever buy it for your child. It's not safe. It is not helping with stress, ADD, anxiety, depression, all of that. It's going to cause all of those things can trigger, trigger psychosis, bipolar. If they continue to use and have continued repeated psychotic episodes, it can convert into permanent schizophrenia, even more so if there are any genetic predispositions, Johnny didn't have any, but many people do in their families. And it's even more harmful in those cases, but most of these kids are not self-medicating. They're like, Oh, poor kids. They're self-medicating. They're depressed. No, they're not. They want to get high and they can't get alcohol. So they're using marijuana. It's just, it's a big party drug. So don't fool yourself. Don't think your kid is not using, not my kid, we're Christian. We go to church. You know, my kid has a 4.0. Well, so did mine. All of those things they can be using and you just don't have any clue. What are the questions that middle schoolers are asking or early high schoolers? Well, they're always saying, well, why, if, if it's so harmful, why are people legalizing it? You know, that's a really good question. That is a good question. <laughs> if it's so harmful, why do adults think it's safe? So in explaining to them about brain development, by the time you're 25, your brain is formed, right? So, and don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying there is never any danger. There, there's no situation in which marijuana is guaranteed to be safe for anyone. Don't hear me say that. It's just more problematic for those whose brains are still forming, more likely for psychosis, more likely for suicidal thinking. And this is from the National Institutes Our Health. Our own National Institutes of Drug Abuse in June of 21 just came out with a study that said marijuana use is associated with increases in suicide. They know that this is true. And yet our elected officials are not listening to our own agencies who are out there to protect us and prevent public health tragedies like this one. It is a tragedy that this is happening. And if this gets legalized federally, we are all in big, big trouble. Johnny's Ambassadors is going to be needed more than ever. And we're looking for people to support us, to be trainers, to share our social media, to talk with people, to send people to us, to, to educate. It's going to just have to be a massive uprising, a groundswell of people who are speaking out who are not going to be shamed and who are not going to be silenced and who are not going to give in to the stigma of, you know, my child's using marijuana and I don't want to talk about it because I'm embarrassed, right? We got to speak out and we got to talk about what's happening out there or they're just going to run right over our kids. They're just using them like a giant science experiment, just a big Petri dish. What is the hardest oh. part about losing your son? Well, I mean, the hardest part is that I will never see him graduate from college. I'll never see him get married. I'll never know what grandbabies I would have had. It just, everything stops your hopes, your expectations, your dreams, everything you ever wanted. It's gone. Doesn't come back. What about there's no do over. I mean, how did it affect your marriage? Oh, it actually strengthened our marriage. That was a blessing, you know, because just leaned on each other and there was no blame. I mean, we both 
always did the very best we could. You know, we'd always made joint decisions with Johnny and, you know, he was a great kid. He just made really bad choices. Everybody's got good kids. We just have to help them make good choices, which starts with our own education. That's really good. I love that. Talk about some of the resources that your foundation has. Well, we are we're actually nonprofit. I'm not a foundation. So a foundation oh. gives money. A nonprofit asks for money. Okay. <laughs> so we ask for money. We would love to have some foundations donate to us, however, and support youth marijuana use prevention. So as a nonprofit, we are providing educational resources, mostly in the way of webinars. We have 75 hours so far of one hour webinars that we've done with doctors, psychiatrists, chemists, drug experts, just all the people who are trying to provide the science of why marijuana is so harmful for youth. We have an online marijuana curriculum that we've spent a lot of time and money developing from our donors who have contributed. And our scientific advisory board has informed this. We have eight modules. It takes about 90 minutes. We're trying to get that into schools and youth groups and community groups, courts. If someone gets an MIP or driving under the influence that they have to take our curriculum, you know, so we're working to get that education out there and other resources that are, you know, all kinds of graphics. We started a national marijuana facts week that's in uh, July. So just educational things for people to share. We make it very shareable all over wherever you are, Twitter, LinkedIn, Insta, Facebook, so that people can join our movement and help share that information. So anybody can go to johnnysambassadors.org. And there's a join menu and there's lots of ways to get involved. That's wonderful. I'm also curious, do you have any miracles that have happened along the way? Like, do you feel his presence? Well, I feel Johnny's influence. I feel that his spirit is alive. I feel that his message is making a difference in the world because we know, because we get emails every day, just like I get hate mail every day. We also get love letters every day from parents whose children were saved, messages of thanks, messages of, I didn't know anything about this until I met you and read, you know, your blog or wherever they meet me or your book and got my kid off marijuana. And here are the positive things that have happened. Kids who were suicidal in psychosis in mental hospitals who have recovered only because their parents now know that, oh, it was the marijuana all along that was causing all this. And once they got their child sober and recovered four or six months later, the brain is very plastic. So it can, it can heal. That's where I see Johnny. And I'm, I'm just happy to have a charity that we've named after him, you know, so that we can keep his message in front of the world and, and keep his spirit alive. That's where I see him. I see him every day in everything I do. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Is there anything that you would tell parents that are going through what you went through? Yes. Get help. Don't try to do it yourself. <laughs> you know, you need to get a professional interventionist who can get you the right level of help that you need, right? Is it detox? Is it a 30 day inpatient rehab to, to get the THC out of their system? Is it a 90 day longer how to live without 
THC in your life? Is it a sober living program? Do they need to be in a recovery high school or an alternative school, right? What is it that's really going to help your child not use marijuana and to be substance free? And it takes a lot of work to get these kids off marijuana. It's so addictive and it's painful to stop using. It's called CWS, Cannabis Withdrawal Syndrome. It's very real. It's documented in the DSM-5, the, you know, the Bible of psychology that's used out there that there are withdrawal symptoms because it is an addiction. And it's very hard for kids to do it on their own and just to understand where they are in that stage and to, to help them through it and to help them be sober. You gotta get them to 25 years old. You, you gotta get them through that the brain formation part without substances. And you got to lock link arms with them and hold their hand. And it seems like a lot of work just when you're tired of being a parent and you know, you're ready for them to be independent and move on. Right. You gotta, you gotta keep on them. What was your relationship like with your parents? I grew up in the military and my father's a retired Colonel. I grew up in Colorado Springs on the air force Academy. My father taught ethics and morality of all things. My mother is a psychologist. So I grew up in a very strict Catholic military family. I mean, we were more afraid of our parents than we were of the police. If you know what I mean? Like your parents said, that's the end of it. Like that was the end of it. It was a, you know, it was just a very different existence. We could get in huge trouble. You know, if we got caught using marijuana, the kids today just, I don't know, they just get by with so much more. They just don't seem to have the same kind of discipline that I had and, and boundary setting and parents having very strict rules. No, you may not use that is not acceptable, you know, and I'm going to keep track of you. I'm going to search your room. I'm going to drug test you. I'm going to know where you're going and who you're with. And if our parents there, I'm going to keep your phone in my bedroom at night to charge it. Like parents aren't willing to do the hard work because they want to be friends. They want to be buddies with their kids. But as soon as they turn 18, Johnny withdrew all of the consents. He, I couldn't get into his parent portal at school. He stopped. I couldn't talk to any of the teachers. They couldn't give me any information. He withdrew all the consents from his doctor, from the university. They changed dorm rooms for him. And I didn't even know it until he had moved because I wasn't allowed to know because he was 18, which is also a horrible thing. That's you can't as a parent get help for your mentally ill child uh, once they turn 18, because now they have all these rights. So it's just, it's just different. It's just very different from when I was growing up also didn't have the kind of marijuana back then that we do now. <laughs> That's why you didn't see all the psychosis from marijuana. You know, everybody just thinks love stock, you know, love and peace. And it's not that way. It's called psychosis. And so it's suicide now. I also feel like when teens start isolating, it's like them wanting to grow up and do their own thing. And yes, I try to get my kids to take their phones out of their room. It starts with little things. Yeah. You know, and it's hard to know what's normal. Kids are irritable anyway. Teens are grouchy anyway. And so just be really aware that if you suspect marijuana use, that you do need to intervene. You do need to search. You do need to do backpack, room, car searches, all that. And they hide it in the darndest places and sometimes right under your nose and getting involved, knowing where they are, what they're doing, getting more involved than you are. You got to get into their business. 
Because if I had one thing to do differently, I would have sent him away when he was 17. If I would have known, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know about marijuana addiction. I didn't know about, there were residential centers where you could send children for rehab for marijuana psychosis. I didn't know any of those things, but looking back, there were a couple of times where I could have made a different choice. Would it have mattered? Who knows? I'd say it's 2020, but knowing what I know now, I would have intervened a lot harder and than I did with marijuana. And I never would have said to myself, ah, it's just weed. I never would have said that to myself. It would have been immediately, I would have been all over it. I don't know what it's like to be a teen today. It's got to be very difficult. <laughs> the kids are going to be experimenting. I mean, they are, but you want to talk to them early. I mean, people think, you know, 10 years old, no, that's way too early, you know, to talk to your kid. The kids here are 12. They're in middle school. It's not too early. I so agree. I have to start early, start young, talking with them about it and making it a natural conversation rather than springing it on them when they're 17 or you're using marijuana, you know. What and resonates with them though? Like what the gets science. them to realize that it's dangerous? The science. They want, they don't resonate with drugs are bad. Don't do drugs because I told you not to, but they do resonate with the science. Here's what's happening in your brain when you use it. You only have one brain, you know, they resonate with, did you know, by the way, that the marijuana industry is owned largely by a few rich white men and that are basically also a repeat of big tobacco. And did you know that the marijuana industry is marketing to you because they need 18 to 24 year olds to be addicted because 4% of the users buy 65% of the product Whoa. here. Colorado. Yeah. It's a very, they don't care about the 85 year old granny who's eating her gummy every day for arthritis. <laughs> they don't care about that. They want, they want the kids and they are after the kids. They have to addict them young adolescence. It, it's not like you just suddenly start using heroin. Addiction is an adolescent onset disease. And it all starts with marijuana. We know this from the CDC. They just released a study that said the number one predictor of whether a high school senior will abuse opioids in the next 30 days is lifetime marijuana use, not alcohol. Number one predictor of whether high school teens abuse opioids, lifetime marijuana use. It is the gateway drug. That's where it all starts. So don't fool yourself. It's not safe, harmless, or natural. It's all been messed with. This is super informative. Thank you. Thank wow. you for letting me share. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to share? I would just encourage people to, to join us, no matter how small or big that is. Of course, we take donations, but it's not even just monetary. It's going and talking to your children, connecting with us, subscribing to our newsletter, getting with us on social media, and just tell one person, just tell one parent, if you're listening to this right now that you heard Rena's podcast and this is what you learned, just tell one person. That's the kind of critical mass that we need to start. You don't have to be like I am out in front of thousands of people pounding the pavement and giving speeches, but you can make a big impact on just your small circle of friends and, and young ones. I can't wait to hear what my dad has to say about this. Get a copy of my book, The Dangerous Truth About Today's Marijuana, Johnny Stack's Life and Death Story. It's on Amazon. If you see any similarities at all with Johnny and your child, please get help. I think that 
you have a very important message and, and thank you so thank much you. for sharing it. And yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? Did he ever use and would he ever use now? Because my hope is after he hears this, he would never touch the stuff again in his life. Thank you. Thanks, Serena. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. This is a very interesting subject of addiction, whether we're talking about alcohol or whether we're talking about tobacco or we're talking about marijuana or we're talking about opioids or we're talking about other types of drugs is that human beings are emotional beings. And unfortunately, we all have flaws or character flaws and we ride the highs and lows of life. And we think that all of these things that we just mentioned will make us feel better or feel good or make us fit in with even peer pressure and crowds is also an addiction because we all want to be loved and we all want to be attended to with attention. She brought up that she could help her son more with the relationship when he was between 17 and 18 than after he was 18 and he'd already been through a treatment or a rehab. He wasn't so excited about that. And if a person isn't really cured of certain issues or certain addictions, it becomes sometimes increasingly more difficult to resolve them as time goes on, as we know with many other examples that we've experienced. And it can lead to a very bad result, especially when it's quiet and kept undercover. So Laura, you're doing the right thing now is that you want to give other parents and other people a history of what you've gone through, not only set the warning signs, but to actually, you have to stay on top of your game very early in the equation and very restrictive, but you certainly have to make sure that that you get fire in the hole, (laughs) that you uh, really put a stop to it at a very early stage because it can get out of control. And unfortunately, there's been a lot of young people that have paid the consequence with their lives where people haven't been able to prevent this inevitable catastrophe that we can see is coming. I certainly feel for you to lose a child, especially one with tremendous potential. And I've been around people and I've worked with people. I've seen people's families experience similar overdoses. But what's interesting is that the marijuana that you're talking about, I think I think all of us experimented with it, including yours truly. And yet I have family members that are still on it. And not only has it become an example for the children, but when the parents continue to do it, I agree with you. The kids not only pick it up, but they'll pass it on to their children and their children's children, uh, just like alcohol. It can be passed on where you have alcoholics in your family for generations. And part of the theme of our show is what do we do for our generational legacy and setting the best example and showing that we can also avoid certain temptations and be able to show that we can rise above that. We want to be able to pass on to our children and to our children's children. And your voice on this show is helpful reminder of what we have to do if we want to be able to have a future. I think she also asked if you smoked weed and if you're going to anymore. I did smoke weed when I was in college. And the funny part is is that the more or the heavier that I would do it, I had to drop classes left and right because I was really a, a fairly good student. And when I came to U of L, I think I had five semesters in a row at the end where I had a 4.0 average for those last five semesters. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that you can't think straight. You do have where it's hard to concentrate. And I think it does affect, it does affect your brain, especially at an age of like 20 years old it was certainly, I was able to hold down two classes where I got an A plus in, in a math class. I think it was calculus. I was able to do differential equations without a problem. I was able to do thermodynamics, but that was about it. I only could take two classes. All the other classes I had to drop because the partying was really full-time and the schooling turned into part-time, which uh, is something that you even mentioned in your recitation. You just can't think straight at all times. The fact is, is that when I moved to Louisville and started working again and going to school, and that seemed to calm me down quite a bit. Plus, I had a young lady that was chasing after me to keep me straight. And that's about all I had really time for. I think that that's a very important ingredient in keeping kids straight is that they have to have not only encouragement, but they have to be actively doing things, schooling, working, playing sports or certain hobbies or entertainment and where people can have a good time without having to inject it in your arm or take it in your eyeball, if you know what I mean. I think that there is many natural ways of getting high and very natural ways of being able to do things to make yourself feel better by accomplishing things, by doing things and surrounding yourself with people that are positive that also want to do something with their lives. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.